My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Malinsky. I'd like to be known as Christian Sapien. And with a worst redemption tagline, Kelly Wand. I don't know if you were getting queued up for taglines for 3x3s. It is Kelly Wand. Seeking to forget makes exile all the longer. The secret of redemption lies in remembrance. Uh, You're quoting Dune? No, I think it's some other guy. (laughs) I think I'm quoting right, Tom. It's either Dune or Star Trek. I don't believe that was written in Bright. Um, uh, was, real quick, though, Kelly Wand, I'd like you to tell me about a movie you saw this week. Uh, last week I watched uh, – oh, wait. This week I didn't watch anything. So last week I watched uh, – What did you say Tanya. recently then? Recently I saw the motion picture I, Tanya. Yeah, uh, Kelly Wand, can we table that discussion because someone is going to mention it in the 3x3. Three three. What's another movie you saw last week? Thanks, jerk. Really? Yeah. I watched the big... <laughs> Who gets wow. her deep? Alice and Janney? Uh, Tanya Harding. Nah. You know is what? Well, save it for... Uh, never mind. I guess now you know what my number two is. Now I know how stupid your list is going to be. <laughs> Pick another <laughs> movie you've seen recently. Uh, I, I watched part of uh, Goon... The New Enforcers, or whatever it's called. Goon, Goon? the... What? Yeah, what is that? Sound, is that some kitty Monster Squad movie? No, it's the sequel to Goon. Oh, oh Goon, the, the Robert Sean Scott Penn hockey movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. Second, Did you like it? Dingus, have you seen it? You're our, Goon, you're our biggest Goon fan here. I have not seen it, no. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, how is Goon to the Enforcers? Whatever. I haven't finished it, but it's really good so far. <laughs> and, uh, so you haven't seen it? Well... You no. know the rule. If you if you leave to use the restroom, or if you haven't watched all the credit, well, I'm not going to say. If you leave really? to use the restroom, if you haven't gotten to the credits, you haven't seen the, it yet. The end credits we have to sit through? No, you don't have to sit through them, because I, I would like really... Like, everything's a Marvel Easter egg movie now? Right. I would really... Also, yeah, that would disqualify a lot of movies. Yeah, also, they should if, you, just, yeah. if you blink, you haven't seen it. So I've never seen a movie. Unless it's right. Into the Void, where Gaspar Noe does the blinking for you, where it's built In, into the movie. Right, basically. but then you have to synchronize. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's very complicated to see the entirety of any movie. That one helps you out, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, so should Dingus uh, watch Goon Two Enforcers? Yeah, you should watch at least the first few minutes because that's how much I've seen of it. Really, that and I Tanya are the only things you've seen recently. Sports movies. Yeah. Well, I want to get my top ten list ready. All right. So uh, I watched Bright for that. And... Oh, Bright. Okay. Well, t- tell us about Bright. How is that? No, I didn't actually see Bright. I was kidding. No. All right. <laughs> Only one of well, us. Kelly Wan, is... you're terrible at playing What's a Movie You Watched This Week. Sorry, I picked a movie that's on your 3x3. Three three. What an idiot. You know what? There's no reason to do things in order. Go ahead. Let's talk I, Tanya. It's, it's my number two because I really do feel that uh, the movie whitewashes what Tanya Hardy, Harding did. And no, and if she didn't know about it. Maybe maybe she's right. It's exactly also, you're proving my point, Kelly Wan. That is not what happened. This is like one of those movies that's a biopic from right. the person 
who it's about. It's an autobiopic. It's not right. that that's not the case like here, Snow- but it's clearly making up this nonsense that she didn't know what was happening to Nancy Kerrigan. That that is not what happened. That is not how this whole See, thing went down. What- that's whitewashing in this movie to make Tanya Harding palatable as a good old girl, like a good old boy redneck. Just she really tried hard, and also this whole. Uh, victimization thing. Like, it's terrible that she was abused. It's terrible that her mother and her husband did to her. But this movie presents those in a way as kind of excuses and furthermore even alleges that she didn't know it was happening. And that's just yeah, not yeah. how it went down back then. I, okay. I remember and I, I looked it up again because I was like, wait a minute. That's even the little bit Kelly Wand about uh, it, it references this in the movie, and I don't know why. The movie, to its credit, at least does. It's not super whitewashing people. Like it makes them look like ignorant hicks. She's the only one who comes off well in the movie. And wait, maybe it, the was coach. Tom? Real quick, I haven't seen it. I've been hoping to see it. But um, does was she actually involved in the production of it? Was she, is she no. a producer? Because you no. said it's from her. No, she, it, it's he not. It's studio a, notes. It's a script that. Uh, uh, a fellow who no no it, it's it's not from anything she's written, but I was dismayed to see on IMDb well not dismayed but this made me wary to see this uh, pictures of her and Margot Robbie uh, posing with each other at like a premiere. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. And that made me think, oh well, okay, so obviously she's okay with this because there's no pictures of uh, Jeff Galuli and Sean Eckhart's dead and the other the other two guys that actually did the beating. Uh, I doubt they're going to be posing for any premiere photographs uh they they probably weren't invited to any premieres of this uh but it really is dingus all about uh a justifying and b excusing the fact that she paid someone a thousand dollars to incapacitate one of her competitors for the olympics um and that well, happened. that's the point was that that had never been proven that well that- she was it's one of those things where she uh her, her husband and her husband's friend who was her quote bodyguard and the two guys that were paid a thousand dollars those guys were convicted of the actual beating she was just convicted of basically obstruction of justice it's one of those things where do you want al capone uh for do you know do you do you want to convict al capone then you have to convict him of tax evasion uh it, it's 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 blocking a lot of times too it's blocking the crime that gets you in trouble which hopefully we'll, we'll see with trump here but you're the uh, one right. who says source material doesn't matter when you see a movie and if right it's right a biopic do you think it's a well-made movie otherwise? Yeah, yeah. There's some good stuff in it. I loved Alice and Janney in it. Didn't you, Kelly Wand? Fuck yeah. I like Margot. And Margot had to do a lot of lifting because she had to – she doesn't really look anything like Tanya Harding, and right. they have way different body types. So in a way, it's kind of a different movie. Like it's different if you're a short, chunky, angry girl as opposed to like a leggy, like willowy, angry girl. Like yeah, her. Her, her like Tanya Harding had more in like common a, with with Haley Quinn than Tanya Harding, I think. Right. Yeah. But I loved it as a movie, dude. That's and actually I, a very fair point. Is I, as as somebody says, source material doesn't matter. I basically mean that when it's talking about uh, like fiction, like a comic book or whatever. The source only, material here is something that actually happened. A woman hired, paid money to to have her competitor brutally beaten not even beaten the dork just like hit her once the guy didn't even by the way knock her out of the olympics so she kind of failed anyway but the woman this woman did this thuggish thing and was disqualified from the olympics as she should have been and should be reviled for that and now we're retelling the story so people like kelly wand and kelly wand i'm not 
dissing just on you because anybody who sees the movie would think this. People who see this movie will think, oh, she didn't know. She had no idea. Well, that's, that's not never, what I said. <laughs> but was it was it proven? I mean, I'm not. I don't mean to be a like like, No, 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 Dengis, you're right. It, it, it's definitely a matter of reading between the lines. Uh, it's it's definitely a matter of in a court of law, it was not proven that she knew. Uh, however, it's one of those things where you look at little bits of information. They found, and this is the thing that I'm surprised that the movie mentions. They found in Tanya Harding's trash. In her handwriting, the location and the schedule where Nancy right. Kerrigan was training, and she wrote that down to pass it on to the guys in Detroit who drove out there to beat her to, to take out her leg. Um, you know, and in the movie, they make it pretend they just make it like, oh, she's really busy and she just wrote this down and wasn't really thinking or anything. And I mean, it makes no sense. The to movie give her throws, a letter. Yeah, the movie throws the detail in there and just glosses it over. Uh, but also, clearly, I, I think their relationship, she's the type of person who would do that, and the movie makes it clear. Like, the movie the movie creates a, a, a ruthless and kind of fascinating character, by the way, but then decides, oh, but the character didn't do this thing. That seems entirely in character early on, with Kelly Wong. Remember? Yeah, exactly. There's the great bit where she's with her dad, and she says, yeah, mom told me to uh, spit in someone's milk. And his dad's like, well, you didn't, did you? And she's like, no, not yet. Right. Uh, but I mean, uh -huh. she's—I mean, and, and that's a joke, but that's clearly establishing what this character is like: is that she's she's vindictive and 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 she's she's ruthless and she, she's angry and and mean spirited. Um. So but, and I, and I I just think that this, this movie and I do like it as a movie, Kelly Wan, but as a redemption, I think it's terrible because it's just it's just whitewashing what actually happened. To make That's it more palatable and feel good. A redemption is so redemption so you're talking a yeah. bad act. Nah, but she didn't I mean even what you're, you're talking about the movie as a whole as a redemption, not right. not a redemption within the movie. Yeah, that's you're talking about the well, movie <laughs> the movie working as a rehab for her. Right. Right. And in the context of the movie, is it a redemption? Like she's like, Hey, wait a minute, I'm not this person. Like well, also Wait, what do you mean? She, also, too, redemption like redemption is something where you you make up for something terrible you did. But if she didn't do it in the context of the movie, there's no redemption necessary. She's just she's just innocent of what she's being accused of. That's different from she's being falsely accused in the movie. That's not redemption because she didn't commit the act that you're saying she's redeemed of. Right. My my worst redemption is the redemption of Tanya Harding by the movie I movie existing. Oh, I see. Yeah, by by this presentation. Yeah. Like remember like when we waste. saw what's the what's the Straight Outta Compton movie? What was that called? Um, Straight Outta Compton. Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> oh, right. Why is why is that so hard to remember? I don't know, Tom. <laughs> but it's that sort of thing where you you have people telling a biopic and conveniently glossing over icky details, and sure. and I think that I Tanya is a good movie. And I, I loved especially especially Allison Janney in it, but I object to what it's trying to do to excuse and redeem and uh, and justify, not even justify, uh, excuse what Tarn and gloss over what Tanya Harding did. My rule of thumb is if it's something I really care about where it affected a lot of people, like JFK, then right. I get annoyed. But if it's something like this, where you know, no harm done, she got a silver, <laughs> it's fine. It was a huge deal. I mean, it was overwhelming at the time. Do you remember that? Yeah. 
And well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It was, it was what, part of the zeitgeist back then. And when she yeah, came yeah. on the ice, it was like a really epic moment. And right. It's like, and, that, and that is the end of the movie is really terrible. Because that's not what we were thinking when we were watching her then. And it basically, like Tom's right in that there's a line where she's like, I was just, you guys were abusing me. This It was like I was getting abused all over again. Oh, that, oh there you go, Kelly Wan. That, that, that drove me. Okay, so that's what I don't like. It's your and fault. That, that, well, the, the movie ends with her – and there's a lot of great fourth wall breaking in that, by the way, and I love that. And, and, and part of it is as if they're being interviewed, but the movie ends with Tanya Harding now, you know, 40 or whatever, uh, looking at the camera and saying um, basically, I didn't do it, but America fell out of love with me because they thought I did it, and it was like being abused all over again. And right. that I object to. That her invoking her abuse – as a parallel to being held accountable for what she did, uh-uh. <laughs> and equating it and saying that what we're what we did by assuming what we yeah. what, and, like and we take the information we were given. We're and we've an just seen a very graphic portrayal of, of, a, of abusive relationships too, and yeah. and to then draw us into that as if we're somehow also culpable for abusing her by believing that she did this. I just didn't like that at all because it's super. It gets super dark. Like when sure. they're all cute and they're 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 falling in love, and then when he starts hitting her, uh, that stuff is like whoa! That, like it's a it's a really dark domestic abuse movie, and and that's you know even uh, Alice and Janney, like the the mother character, she's like, great. She's great too, and there's no redemption there, by the way. No, and I no. loved that because it I was love that. yeah, it, and and Alice and Janney, she just committed too to the the ugliness of that character. And that's why I like the movie. Like I just, sure. I just treat it as a piece of fiction, and I just tune out what you're talking about because I lived through it, and you know. <laughs> but see, Kelly, one, you just now you came out of it thinking that Tanya Harding didn't know. Like that was something that you said when we first started talking about this. And I guess you know, I it's like you said, it doesn't affect a lot of people. Who cares? Thugs rehabilitate their images all the time, so I, I guess I shouldn't care. Um, uh, but it, that really, it really does end on a sour note with this whole idea of yeah, America abused me too. It's like mm, no. So, but, also, but other I, scenes are poignant to me, like where she's like, no one asked me because she she really did a triple. It's like then you just see it as a tragedy and like this is what you gave up by doing that, and so that's still there in the movie. Yeah. Like yeah. you could even argue that the movie doesn't make like. Maybe she's just acting for their benefit in front of us, and she did know, and the movie is letting you know that subtly. It's highly unlikely that she didn't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. She's uh, a good mom now, Tom. She's a what? Nobody tells us that. She's a good mom now. She wants us to know that. She's a good mom. She's a boxer. I didn't realize that, that she'd gone on to boxing. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah. Didn't she fight Tar- Darva Conger? In on a Fox special, Darva might be right about that, that. Actually, is that a character from the Super Mario Brothers game? She's the who wants to marry a millionaire Dar- nurse. I have no idea what you're on about. <laughs> and then Horshack fought Screech, and Horshack was like 60 years old, and Screech just kicked the shit out of him, <laughs> like beat up this old man. Anyway, that I time before we that was before we really had kick ass like UFC. I mean level. Female fighters. Z-level celebrities. This yeah. was just sort of uh, circus fighting. This isn't this isn't Gina Carano's type of stuff. This is just 
it, it, it was really embarrassing and weird. She fought Paula Johnson, right? Who? Uh, uh, Tanya Harding. Paula Johnson. Johnson. Maybe not. The woman that uh, that the the uh, that accuser Bill, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Didn't she? Maybe I made that up. That would oh, be maybe that's I have something. Paula, I just, uh, that could else. be something I dreamed. It's not Johnson. What is her wow. name? <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a, that's a fantasy I had that I, I'll just keep to myself. All right. That's an interesting one. I wonder what the Johnson part means. And Sarah Palin was the referee. Dingus, what's a movie you saw this week? All right. Uh, I got surprise taken uh, to a movie called The Shape of Water by my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I was not expecting this. This just happened uh, one morning. She said, we're going to a movie at 110. Do you want to know what it is? I said, nope. She said, good. We're going to a movie at 110. And then uh, we walked into the movie and, uh, you know, unfortunately on the way there, she was saying, do you know who wrote The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog? Like, okay, (laughs) you're you're giving things away. So I I said, "Uh, it was either Philip Boyens or I'm not quite sure. Maybe Peter Jackson. Is it a Peter Jackson movie we're going to? Uh, So um, we went to see uh, The Shape of Water. Do you want to know what I thought of it? I do, yes, yes. <laughs> I think it's one half of a really great movie. <laughs> Ding it's me. Uh I really I was really nuts about the movie for the first half. I really was totally into it. Um I was excited that she took me to it because it was a film that uh Tom had waved me off of. And most of the time Tom is right about that. He knows my tastes, he knows I've got limited time to watch a bunch of movies that aren't going to be worth my time, even at this time of year when I'm trying to make my list. Um, well, especially at this time of year, because time is really cramped right now, uh, or was, you know, especially during the Christmas week. Uh, and so I really appreciate the fact that, that Tom's so careful about that. But every now and then something slips through the cracks that, you know, I like that, um, that shouldn't be a dingus movie as it were. Uh, and I did want to see this. I just didn't think it was going to be worthy for my list based on, you know, Tom sort of being dismissive of it. Uh, he hadn't told me anything about it, so I didn't know really much about it going in. But when she said, this is the movie we're going to see, I was like, cool, I'm, I'm in. Let's do this. Uh, and the first half of it, I was really in it. It felt like this weird uh, sort of a dark Amelie. Uh, it, it, and it had this sort of Amelie meets the Coen brothers kind of mashup quality to it, uh, which made me uncomfortable, but in a good way. The production design, even the music, which is Alexandre Desplat, uh, reminded me of Amelie. And even the 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 protagonist, um, the way she acted and uh, her, I don't know, just her demeanor, although she had different motivations uh, and, a, and different backstory um she still had this sense sally hawkins gave that same sense off and i really i really was going into it i was really grooving with it and i loved seeing michael shannon show up um richard jenkins you know being the painter in the apartment like amelie's painter friend who uh uh helped her out in certain ways uh there were many things that reminded me of amelie and and amelie is one of my favorite movies so 
if somebody wants to try to make a dark Amelie, all right, go ahead and try it. Let's see what happens. Um, and I really loved what was going on with the first half of the movie, which I think is this really great, interesting uh, take on um, an alternative love story uh, or, or on a love story based on maybe gi- giving us some ideas of, of current values about uh, what uh, I, I don't want to say queer because but even though that's the, that's the current term of art, I, I always feel weird using that term, even though queer people use that term uh, freely and feel comfortable using it. I, I always feel like I shouldn't be able to use that term because I, I, I don't think it's pejorative, but I worry that I would sound pejorative using it. I don't know why that is. Um, nevertheless, I think that this movie has has a take on that, and I really loved where that where this movie was going in that regard. And then the second half of the movie becomes this weird sort of action spy thriller thing, caper movie uh, that doesn't really go anywhere. And doesn't make any sense. They're in Baltimore, and the ocean is right there. <clears throat> I, I don't want to say anything about the end because it's a movie that I know a lot of people still want to see, and it's a it's a it's a relatively uh, recent movie, and I don't want to give too many spoilers. <laughs> um, They're in Baltimore, but they can't find the ocean. Now I want well, to see. It. There's only one way for them to, and it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I lived in that area. I understand how the ocean works, and I understand how the Chesapeake Bay works, and I understand how it, it's. It none of that makes any sense. And I guess I could stretch my imagination if it were interesting enough. But unfortunately, at that point in the movie, I'm so bored. I'm picking at little things like that. I'm picking at little threads like that, and that really, really bothered me a lot. Um, and I think Alexandra said at first that uh, if this had maintained its its attitude as this sort of dark, uh, mismatched, difficult alternate romance that, that that they're trying to make work, and they could have concentrated on the power of that instead of going off into this weird caper action movie uh, that that just got gooey and weird and relied too many on too many of Guillermo del Toro's uh I don't know tricks or fetishes or whatever you would call them uh it, it would have been a better movie I I I don't know so I should walk out halfway in well at the end all I was thinking was and I know this is going to sound dumb all I was thinking was is is this just is this where uh the fish guy from uh, the Hellboy movies is this is this his spinoff movie? Uh, mm. I mean, and I was just saying that it's a joke to her, and then I found out the same guy. I think his name is I, I want to say Doug Jones, but it's not Doug Jones. Doug, it is I Doug know. Jones. Oh, it is Doug Jones. <laughs> you bet. It's like yeah. Doug Jones was the, the Alabama guy, guy? Was, was elected in Alabama. <laughs> so and Doug Jones is a really thin. He's he's got a regular gig on Star Trek now, but he's a really tall, thin fella who. Guillermo del Toro is fond of, of dressing up in latex for his creatures. Oh, okay. uh, and yeah, Doug Jones, he's even uh, – if you guys remember this movie, Absentia, which I don't know what y'all's deal is. You loved it when you no, saw I it. I remember it now. Okay. Oh, Doug Jones is in that as himself. He's a victim in the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, but Doug Jones oh, is yeah. a really thin, gaunt actor who uh, dresses up well because his body type – 
you know, you can make him super thin and gaunt and freakish looking. I think he's, he's like the shape of water. Very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, he has the same name as the guy who's now uh, who won the election in Alabama. Oh, okay. Which is the one who? Which is the Doug Jones that has eyes in his hands? Well, that's the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth, and that's Doug uh, Jones uh, in that costume. Yeah. Mm. It's also Alabama. Doug Jones as. I don't think they give the creature a name, do they, Dingus? In Shape of Water? No, in the credits, he's called Amphibian Man. Oh, geez, okay. <laughs> I know that's that's the extent to which they went. Um, on our way out, he's in Justice League. When I was describing some <laughs> kind of some of what the movie was to my son, I I said, uh, no, uh, maybe I was describing it to her. I was, I said that uh, I think this is maybe this is where Hellboy goes, the the creature from Hellboy goes, uh, because I think David Hyde Pierce played him in that movie. Um, <laughs> But David Hyde Pierce didn't play him. He just did the voice for the first movie. Uh, I was right about that fact. But Doug Jones plays him in the in both movies. He plays the physical version of him, uh, and then he plays him in this. But I don't. I don't think it, it's not the same character. I mean, that's Abe Sapien. This is just uh, Amphibian Man. Uh, but it's weird to have to have to make Doug Jones do that all, so many times. <laughs> Poor Doug Jones. No, he the guy's got such a cool look. I mean, and it's a good gig, but I mean, twelve hours in makeup like that has got to be torture. Uh, he, I'm sure he's used to it. I mean, he's a guy who does it professionally. He's, uh, yeah. You see a lot more of his face in Star Trek. Like he gets to actually act more in Star Trek, which is kind of cool. Is he good? Um, um, I yeah, he's fine. I mean, I, it's Star Trek's <laughs> terrible, but uh, oh, okay. he, would, he would be good with good material. That's 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 the sort of thing you can uh, yeah. Is he blue in this, like he was in Hellboy, and like he's Doug pretty, Jones in Alabama is? He's pretty sad. Okay. <laughs> That's the shape of water. He's more, he's more green. Um, uh, it's it's great creature design. There's interesting things that go on in the first half of the movie, and then they just sort of put him in a bathtub and let's all run around for a while. It's, and it's, on that day. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> what did you think of the movie? I mean, you, I know you saw it, Tom. I, I don't remember exactly what you said about it uh, i do respect that it's Guillermo del toro wanting to do an adult fairy tale in that not a fairy tale with like gore and stuff but it's a fairy tale about uh, uh sexuality and about you know i think it's very important that richard jenkins character is gay uh and is closeted and that, that it's in a time where he has to be closeted you know it, it invokes it's very specific to the time and, and racism at the time uh and and I like that Guillermo del Toro uses that setting and that fairy tale quality that he did so well with Pan's Labyrinth to tell an adult fairy tale about sexuality, which is what I think that is. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's a little um, soft. Like it pulls its punches. It's got a sort of a sweet magical realism kind of quality to it, which I think undercuts it. Uh, and I I. I was mainly interested in Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins' relationship. Everything else, although I did like Octavia Spencer, I liked her a lot. But uh, those, you know, bringing in Michael Shannon as a scenery chewing heavy, that just got to be a bit much. I don't know why we needed a Michael Stuhlbarg uh, Russian spy. Uh, what? It, it, it just, yeah, yeah, exactly, Kelly Wand. What is this um, movie? It sounds like Killers with Ashton Kutcher now. It, it you know, I think it's just it, it wants to be a thriller, like it wants to become. <laughs> Uh, an action. That's not his not movie. Eh? It's not. It's not, is it? And the thing is, it opens with an amazing bit 
that I thought, wow, this is this bodes well. Uh, it opens with a, fu- a chocolate factory on fire down the street, mm, and Richard Jenkins' character doing a voiceover, yeah, basically saying something. I forget what the line is, but he's got some super poetic line about you know the smell of a burning chocolate factory, and it's like yeah. tragedy and sweet or something like that. And I was like, wow, yeah. well, what a great literary touch. And unfortunately, there's. There's other stuff like that, but it, it's it's a they super promising beginning out. that doesn't quite. They put the fire out. Yeah. Um, uh, sounds I, yummy. I, did you think it was weird at all that Octavia Spencer mentions poop a couple of times? Because of the help. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to see the movie. I just want to fill in the blanks from all these descriptions of Russian uh, poop. I don't think it's a help reference. Uh, all right. Huh. All right. And I so love I Sally Hawkins. I I really like that the character choice, you know, that they made as writers to make her deaf, and she's so good. I mean, she's just so good at that, and Richard Jenkins is so good at expressing that communication with her because that's not an easy thing to do to convey to us, you know, without constant subtitles. Yeah, and when she stops and makes him look at her and listen to her because mm-hmm. like she's trying to make a point and he's like that's a great scene it's like like you know she can't yell she can't like use her voice she's got to use sign language and she's got to demand all of his attention like there's an early part in the movie where she really needs to express how much she needs his help and she mm-hmm. like stops him and makes him look at her and uh and, and translate what she's saying they had a great interplay yeah right 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 yeah but i i can't get enough of her i think she's just amazing and the thing is, when we were leaving, uh, Alexander was like, where have I seen her before? And I was like, have you seen Happy Good Lucky? I had totally forgotten that she was in Blue Jasmine. Uh, I have too, yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the things that uh, we actually would have seen her in. Right. All right, well, I saw this week a movie with a really pedestrian title. Uh, and I saw it because it's directed by a guy named Owen Moverman. Uh, who did a movie we like called The Messenger. Uh, the Messenger has Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson as uh, military, I think they were Marines, who inform families uh, when serv- of service members when a service member has been killed. And they have to go to the house and say, ma'am, sir, uh, your daughter, son, husband, whatever, uh, has died in, in uh, his duty. Uh, and we saw that movie. We really liked it. Kelly Wan thought it was hilarious. That's why he's laughing now. He's remembering how funny that was. <laughs> Are you laughing at that that's how they say it to him. They go up and they go, "Hey, ma'am, sorry, your husband, yeah. wife, whatever." <laughs> right. I would not be good They're at like, that. That's why the movie The Messengers is not about me. I was never hired to do that. Oh, ben I thought Foster that's Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Owen Moverman's most recent movie. It's an adaptation of a novel, but uh, which is abundantly clear as you're watching it. This is no script that someone has written. This is a this is a novel. Uh, but one of the things that Owen Moverman. Am I saying his name right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's Harrelson. No, there's or is it Orin? No, okay. You're right. Okay. I think so. so one of the things he did in the Messenger. Wait, he, is it Orin or Owen? Well, there's Orin Pelly who did oh, uh, Paranormal Activity, know. and then Owen Moverman. I think it's it might be Orin Moverman. Dadgum. I'll just call him Mr. No, no, Moverman. You're, you've got to be right. Okay. You've got to be right. So at any rate, in The Messenger, he did a really good job with layers of sound based on characters listening to radios or a TV playing in the back room. Uh, 
there, there was this really subtle or, or just someone like listening to ad, like when ads would come on a car radio while someone's driving, just the texture of sound in real life. He was really good at that. And there is an amazing scene in a movie called The Dinner. It's the most pedestrian title you could imagine. Oh. Uh, where he uses the sound effect that we all know of – I guess it's an iPhone. It's just that default notification tone when you get an email or a message. Uh, there's a riveting scene in the dinner where somebody's phone uh, – he doesn't know where it is. It, it, it's going off, and this staccato interruption, this beat that it adds to the scene is so – it so puts you on edge. I mean, it's 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 modern technology intruding on something that these people have to talk about, uh, and it's just so grating. And there's some great stuff with, with music in this movie, but that that in that scene, that use of that little default tone when you get a notification on an iPhone, uh, just a great bit of filmmaking. So here's little, what the dinner like is: the little bling. It's it's so unassuming. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that when you hear it, you will reflexively reach for your cell phone to see if you got a message. Right. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, that's you know you're watching the movie, and I'm thinking, wait, is that my? No, it's not. And then finally, someone says, I can't, I can't find it. Like it's in someone's purse, and she, and they've got to, they've got, you know, something very important is being discussed, and it has to, they have to get through this conversation, and the thing is going off. So here's, uh, I'm going to tell you who the four characters are who are having dinner, and what I tell you about these characters is only what you know when you first meet them, and the brilliance of the dinner. Is how what I'm about to introduce them to you as is not at all what they are by the time the movie is over. In the movie, it's all one night. You know, it's people having dinner, uh, and I'm just going to give you some pretty brief, cliched descriptions of who these characters are and the actors that play them, and just know that everything changes by the time the movie is over. Uh, it's a, um, it's an amazing me, bit of character development. Yes. Forgive me for asking, real quick, just so I can have my brain in the right uh, setting. Are they in a restaurant or are they at home? And if you said restaurant. this, I apologize. It's a restaurant, Dingus, and it's super – like a foodie like you would love the – their their waiter, uh, their like head waiter is Michael Chernus. <laughs> okay. comes up so, and who so explains all the food. It's totally it's a super nice, really highfalutin restaurant. Yeah, and, uh, and Owen – Oren – Owen, yeah, Owen Moverman definitely knows how to shoot how cool the food is. And as a matter of fact, I imagine the novel was probably written this way. There are yeah. title cards for each of the segments of the meal. Like aperitif oh, okay. main course uh, that has to do with the, the dramatic. I read action. the novel. It's Dutch, by the way. So are I mean, you serious? It, yeah, it's a Dutch novel. So it's oh. a Dutch restaurant, and they're Dutch people. Yeah. Wow. Why? Why did you read it? Uh, a guy sent it to me, one of my friends, and I read it. Like, did you days. like it? Yeah, I loved it. I know what happens because it's wow. It feels if it follows the same trajectory it's yeah, awesome. it's all about it's all about you don't know why these people are having dinner right. and what they have to talk about and it's all about yeah. revealing that over the course of the movie and it's yeah. from the it's from one guy's point of view like one of the characters it's first well, person yeah but yeah, is it a is it a loud LA, loud la kind of a place or is it like quiet like, no 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 it's, well it, it, it's, it's a bit of both actually <laughs> he okay. goes at the beginning he goes we never eat we never eat there again because we. But we hear there are people who show up wondering if we'll come back. <laughs> so you know something's going to happen at the dinner. That's wow, very be funny. Epic. Yeah. Well, so, so the the four characters. Do you know who's in the movie, Kelly Wand? Richard Gere. So Richard Gere is just the the typical ambitious uh, politician. He's running for uh, governor's office, and it's on the yeah. evening of a very important bill that's being voted on, which is why the phone keeps going off. And he's Richard Gere playing Richard Gere. Uh, his wife 
a super frigid, bitter, standoffish trophy wife is Rebecca Hall. Oh. Uh, his brother. I didn't know she was in it. Yeah, yeah. His brother. And this is what was amazing to me. The movie starts with a voiceover. It's told from the perspective of Richard Gere's brother. And Richard Gere's his politician on the verge of you know, great political success, and he has to call a dinner to come meet his, to meet his brother and talk about something. And the movie opens with his brother's voiceover. Yeah. And his brother's voiceover is – his brother is a, is a teacher, a sort of a bitter, failed academic. Yeah. Uh, who uh, is a teacher and it, he's constantly, you know, he, he's reading books. He's immersed in in his history and academia, uh, and it opens with his voiceover. But then, for some reason, it's an American guy talking. There's a shot during this voiceover of Steve Coogan, and I'm like, why are we seeing Steve Coogan while someone else is talking? And then Steve Coogan's walking through his house, and some other guy's voiceover is doing voiceover. And then Steve Coogan opens his mouth and starts talking to his wife, and he's doing an American accent. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, His voice sounds different. Like it, it doesn't sound at all like Steve Coogan. Yeah, like Steve him Coogan, too. He is so good in this movie. Uh, and I say that as someone who gets a little fed up with Steve Coogan, but he's what? so good as just this embittered, failed academic uh, who has. Wait, to meet he's the main character. Dinner. Yep. Oh, he being in the yards, or is it his actual voice? Oh no, no, it's his actual voice because when oh. he's actually doing talking, you realize, oh, that's Stephen Steve Coogan doing an American yeah. accent. And you think about like that trip to the trip stuff that he does with Rob Brydon. Like he does impressions and stuff. So he's basically doing an impression throughout the movie of a nebbish academic American guy. Um, with dark currents. And with very dark currents, and it's really cool what to see Steve Coogan do that stuff. And his super supportive, loving uh, kind, empathetic wife is Laura Linney. So it's a movie. Uh-huh. Laura Linney, Rebecca Hall, Steve Coogan, and Richard Gere I having a dinner, and you discovering that, okay, everything I just told you, there's more to these characters than that. None of it is, is what I just explained. So, the dinner, I really liked a lot. Uh, and I things, can't pick... That's such weird casting. I, Steve Coogan really... like I. Early on, I was like, "This is not going to work." Steve Coogan is not, and it, as they were developing the character, I was like, "This is not going to work." But by the time it was over, I just, I, I just fell in love with what the guy was doing. He's great in the dinner. Yeah, uh, I love that book. Is there a subplot about a psychological test? Kelly Wand, why don't you just watch movies instead of ask people about them? Okay, that's a yes. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's yeah, don't a, miss it, Dingus. Don't there's miss. a feel to your description that reminds me of Carnage. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why yeah. I, that's why it's clearly like not a – like it could be – except for a couple reasons. It could very much be a play. Like it's literally – they're in a dining room for, mm-hmm. for much of the movie, kind of. Uh, um, but yeah, but it, unlike Carnage, like these are people who know each other and who have, have strong bonds uh, okay. and, and connections. Um, it's my right. dinner with Andre if um... – Don't even bring that up. No, it's not like that. <laughs> David Mamet. Uh, right. Dingus, can you read the listener submissions when we get to that? And uh, I will start us off by announcing. So this topic is worst redemptions. Uh, Kelly Wan, you hate redemption. Studios, uh. studios love redemption. Like when when a coward turns brave, or a bad guy becomes uh. a good guy, or or when the antihero like sacrifices himself. Uh, it's some redemptive moment in a movie. You guys, I kind of cheated with my number two. Uh, how I, Tanya, was was redeeming Tanya Harding herself. I thought that was terrible. Uh, so what I want from you guys are your worst redemptions in movies. 
Kelly Wand, you'll be telling us the next three by three. So why don't you start us out with your third worst redemption in movies? Uh, okay. Well, I had a lot of trouble narrowing it down because there's <laughs> so many redemptions I hate. And that's why I can't believe your number two is I, Tanya, because it seems like such a waste of such a fertile subject. Like, there's so many bad redemptions in movies, and I tried to stay away from ones that are movies I don't want to remember exist, like Godfather 3. <laughs> right. Uh, so these were the ones where – my number three, which I'm so glad I remembered in time, um, because this is the one – I had the most I had the most physical reaction to it because I saw this movie on a plane, and I made a noise of disgust that was so loud that it summoned a <laughs> stewardess. And it was like the middle of the night, and I just went, oh! <laughs> And the stewardess came over, sir, you can yeah, did you see, I, did you read the novel of this? Look what fucking, and it was uh, the not, the adaptation of the novel The Circle by Dave Eggers, which I think you read, Tom. It's I did. I, well, you know what? I, novel. Yeah, but I didn't hear. Yeah. The Circle? Oh, yeah. It was Ooh. like, man, I was really looking forward to it, and then there was a bad buzz about it, and then I never saw it because you know everyone it was so reviled. And then finally on the plane, I went, oh, let me see how they fucked it up." And then I just wanted to murder it so hard because you know I didn't I didn't finish the book Kelly Wan because I was Why? reading it because the movie was coming out, and then I heard that the movie stank, so I didn't even finish the book. Oh, dude, the ending's the best part. It's so good. Wait, so now I shouldn't ruin the ending of the book for you? No, you can, I guess. I mean, if it's, it sure isn't like that, it's not what it is in the movie. That's for goddamn sure. Okay, I, well, what happens in the movie? That's terrible. The novel's like a Black Mirror episode. Um, it's really, it's creepy and dark and mean. And in the movie, uh, it's about a girl who comes to work for like a Google or Facebook like office park for this app that runs the world called the circle and it's kind of culty and so she gets enmeshed in it and by the end of the book she's basically become pure evil and joined the dark side and like become part of the circle and is like running the circle sort of and in the movie she's a very she she somehow tricks everyone all these like ancient programmers are like it's really bad casting too because tom hanks is like a surfer like the cool uh, CEO of the circle and the one in, who in the novel is like this corporate shark like sort of uh, the Scaramucci of the circle is Patton Oswalt so it's really weird casting I know it seems like he doesn't want to be there at all He's, you can't even figure out what his character is supposed to be in the movie um, but uh, suffice to say there's a whole thing in the in the circle in the book and the movie where she goes uh her thing is like to go kayaking by herself, and then <laughs> she gets in an accident or something, and they have to rescue her. And so they use her as a poster child to use this uh, monitoring device that like shows wherever you are all the time. And so she <laughs> becomes part of the circle's cult. Anyway, at the end, she's kayaking alone with the thing on her. And happily, like she's totally stoked and she's like made the circle cool and it's great and everything's awesome. Wait, the, the end, end of the movie? Yeah. Oh, so the movie ends up being like taking this it, sort of dark story about the dark side of technology and turning it into this is a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. See, because now she she's at peace with it. And, you know, it's it's better to kayak if people know where you are. You should you should be respectful and you should do this. And it's Bill Paxton's last movie, too, by the way. He's her dad. And I, 
Emma Watson. It's not being ironic. It's not being ironic, and it's it's immediately following a thing where she gets up on stage and she tricks both the CEOs. You got to go. There's this whole thing where you going clear is like you reveal everything about yourself, all your emails, and like what you're doing 24 and seven people can watch you. And so she does. She goes on stage in in front of the world and the employees of the circle and goes. And both the CEOs are going to do it now too. And then Pat Oswalt's all. Oh God, we're fucked. And then that's that's like you don't even know what happens with the circle or what happens to them or whether. It, but it, it's probably still running because she's still got the thing at the end on her neck. So the circle's fine. It's cool, and now it's being it's in good hands with Emma Watson's character. I can't believe you didn't finish the book, Tom Fuck, It's such a great ending. It's Who so directed me- this? I don't know. Some doof. I love that when Kelly Wan says, but it tricks her or but it, all I can, all I go, my brain just goes to the opposite where he goes, but the movie then tricks you by her going on stage and telling you this. Yeah. James Ponsolt directed it. Ponsolt? Ponsolt. But in the book, a friend gets her the job. And then in what happens with the friend is uh, they develop this app that like lets you find out your genealogy and the friend turns out to be descended from slave owners and so she gets vilified by the world and she goes into mission and that doesn't happen in the movie in the movie oh yeah so then she goes into a coma and then may sitting by her hospital bed and like typing things out to the world like shitty things about her friend like people have a right to know these other things about her too and it's like the, the friend who got her the job and in the movie the friend just quits the circle and then she and may have like a phone conversation you know, like going yeah how you doing yeah i'm okay yeah it's cool we're cool they, they like make up it's terrible it's the worst thing ever i, w- I want to murder that movie I can't believe right. finish the book. You didn't get up to the parts in the the, the aquarium part. Mm, I got to the kayaking part. I loved that bit where they're That's like halfway into the book. Yeah, so I got halfway in. Oh, all right. You screwed yourself on that. <laughs> Kelly Wands, does the book and the movie, or do the book and the movie have uh, identical circumferences? No. One of them is just a jagged line running off into space, and the other one, it's just a studio note with like, (laughs) it's just like gray, bland line. And Dave Eggers worked on the script, so it's like. Oh, that's hilarious. The guy who wrote the novel did this to his own novel. Right. That is hilarious. Wow. So it's really weird. All right. I guess maybe he had second thoughts about the point of his book. That's I'm wondering, like, did he even feel. I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing you would fight for or just not be involved in. Like, yeah, the book's the book and the movie's the movie, like Stephen King kind of does. Does but, he get script credit? Yeah, he's he's proud. His name is proudly emblazoned in the end credits. And I just stared at it and shook my head. Emblazoned. Emblazoned. Is that how you say it? I don't know how to say I it. Thought it was emblazoned, like blazing yeah, glory. Yeah. But if it's, if it's terrible, like if it's on something that's, that's blah, it's emblazoned. It's, I uh, do you like it right, Kelly Wand. Uh, do like the Bon Jovi song "Shut Down in a Blaze of Glory." One time, Geraldo Rivera said "depravity," and then I thought, "Is that?" I thought it was "depravity," because if you're depraved, you wouldn't shorten the a. Words are weird. Dingus, what's your third least favorite redemption in the movie? Words are weird. <laughs> I hate it when I come down with the blahs. 
Geraldo's right, a word. So word. Yeah. My third favorite has uh, the following quote to it. I will hunt my father like a dog. I will tear him apart slowly, piece by piece, until he knows some semblance of the profound and unceasing pain I know every single day. I know this one. Sling Jedi. Blade. Oh. Wow, you guys. Sling Blade. No, it, is, uh, it is. Uh, and I'm going to get heck for this because I, I don't think this is going to sustain as a redemption because I'm pretty sure they'll probably double back on it. Uh, but I, uh, this is one of the reasons, and I was, a, I was the uh, lone dissenting voice on this movie. This was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, <laughs> and this would be Nebula giving her sister a big ol' hug uh, at the end and then running off to hunt down her father. You know, Figuring, well, dad's uh, yeah. the one who really pit us against each other, so let's have a big old hug, and now everything's fine, and I'm going to run off and and uh, take care of daddy myself. That's a redemption. Um, that totally yeah. works. But right, Dingus right. thinks well, it's a bad one. Dingus doesn't like it. I, I don't like it. No, I don't no, like no, Nebula. Yeah. I, I don't like Nebula being redeemed. I don't like that. I don't either. I don't think it makes any sense. I don't like... Uh, I don't like any sense of it. I think it's crap, and I thought it at the time, and I think it now, and it really irks me. Um, but the reason that I'm a little reluctant about it is because I have this, I've grown to have this sneaking suspicion that once that maybe her motivation um, isn't just uh, revenge, but it is power, uh, as I've thought about what she's actually trying to do, um, not just stop. Uh, what's his name? Thanos. Um, not not just just kill him, but stop him and take his place. Kind of you don't hug your sister before you go out and seek power, though. That means you're redeemed. Hold on, let me write that down. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Know, but it, I, I understand whatever happens after this happens after this. Uh, but uh, oh man, I just couldn't stand that. It drove me crazy because I I thought they hadn't fully developed her as an evil character yet, and maybe that's what they intend to do. And this is just sort of a blip in the radar. But just taking this as a single singular moment, uh, as far as this movie is concerned, I couldn't stand that. I thought it was just out of character and ridiculous. Almost and every comic book not, movie not earned has a bad redemption in it. Well, this is mine. This is my one of my worst redemptions, and I really wanted to just choose movies that I like, that had m- moments of redemption that I thought were horrible, uh, but I couldn't do that for all three. Um, this one just kept sort of itching uh, under my skin, and I, I kept trying to throw it off the list because it was bothering me, because uh, I really wanted to choose movies I loved, and I really, really did not like this movie. And I know I'm really uh, a voice crying in the wilderness on this, but there you go. I, I just hated Nebula's redemption. Will she be redeemed, Dingus, if in the next movie, I guess it would be Infinity War, right? She's got to be in that, if she's wearing her Jumanji outfit. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. As long as she's the, as long as she's blue. But uh, I think what I mean by the next movie is I mean the, uh, uh, I'm considering the next Guardians movie, but I don't know. It's got to be until like Infinity War. They're fighting Thanos. It shows them, yeah, yeah, but but until you told me that she was that her character was going to be in that, uh, which I think you, we were just talking about earlier this week, um, and I didn't even realize that uh, until you told me that. I, I you know I'd been this had been brewing for the last few weeks that I was going to use this as one of my choices, and when you brought that up, I'm like, how did 
does Tom know uh, that, I, that I'm thinking about that? Uh, I don't know why we – oh, we brought her up because uh, – obviously because of Jumanji. Um, uh, but I guess you must be right. I didn't realize that Infinity War was going to have anything to do with Thanos. She brought me up in Jumanji. <laughs> uh, my third least favorite redemption in a movie. Uh, so in Predators, Walton Goggins <laughs> is one of the people who's been dropped on this. Oops, spoiler. Is one of the people who is like doesn't know where he is, and there's predators hunting him. And there's a bunch of them. It's a great cast in Predators. Walton Goggins is, and, and it turns out they're all variously uh, dangerous people. And Walton Goggins is a uh, an inmate from a prison. Uh, I think it even specifies that he's a raper, and he says very inappropriate things to. Um, I guess it's Alice Braga. I forget who, but ugh. why are you going ugh? Because she ruined I Am Legend for you. Yes. She's but she's cool in this. She's like a Mossad sniper or something in Predators. Uh, and Walton Goggins makes very inappropriate remark about her butt at some point. So you know he's a he's a low-down, good-for-nothing He's sword. obviously a rapist. He's a rapist. And nobody will give him a weapon. He's got a shiv, but he's constantly like, why can't I have a gun? And they won't give him one because they don't trust him. His weapon's attached. Kelly Wand, that's not going to help you fight a Predator. <laughs> that's the thing. They shouldn't have gotten him for that. <laughs> Well, at any rate, so he's like a, a, and he's also – he's a prisoner and he's a redneck, so he's a coward, and that's very clear. But after they escape and blow up one of the predators – and I think at this point they don't know there's more of them yet. Uh, they blow up one of the predators, and they escape out of the ship where they were hiding, and Walton Goggins is elated. And he has the line – because they think there's only one of them, and they've, and they've uh, killed it. He has the line, hunt my dick. <laughs> like as a taunt to the dead predator. I like that one. There. But then suddenly a predator. <laughs> he is using his weapon as a <laughs> taunt. But then a predator uncloaks taunt. and it has that little triple laser beam thing and it uncloaks uh, and it shoots Walton Goggins in the back. And Walton Goggins just goes down like a sack of potatoes. And now the Predator shoots its – it aims its little triple laser beam right at Adrian Brody, who's our hero, right? He's the main guy, and it's right at his forehead. And Adrian Brody realizes, I'm screwed. There's nothing I can do. I can't jump out of the way. I can't duck. <laughs> this is the end for me. He has to take all that. He just well, – it's, it's a drawn-out moment because he knows he's doomed, and right. we, the audience, know as well. And it's a very sad thing. We're going to lose Adrian Brody, who was the main hero. But then suddenly Walton Goggins gets up off of the ground and he jumps on the Predator's back and he's stabbing it with his shiv. And he says to the Predator, die, you space faggot. That is his <laughs> taunt to the Predator. I like because, that light too. Because he's a redneck, because he's a right. raper, he's the worst sort. Right. But he has saved Adrian Brody and it gives Adrian Brody enough time to get away and <laughs> – He's now a hero, but he's he's about to die. He now gets thrown on the ground, and the predator does the thing where you grab someone by the base of the spine, and you rip the spine up, and it pulls their skull out of their skin. And now you're holding like a little dangly spinal column with a skull at the end. But oh. that's Walton Goggins' redemption is hunt my dick and die, you space faggot. Wait, that's a great redemption. What are you talking about? I, I'm wondering what the predator – like do predators he's know thinking. English? Like, does yeah, the predator, well, they laugh. Yeah, like, does the predator, like, why is he, like, using a, 
like a, a, a slur against homosexuals on me. Like, what, does the predator understand like that argot, that way of insulting people? Well, does it react and like shake its fist angrily or look hurt? Left well, immediately, I think it's more pissed that it, that it missed its shot at Adrian Brody. Are you sure? I'm not. You could be right, Kelly Wand. You could be right that maybe that really did get under the predator's skin. Um, that makes sense then. But also, I love, they make spaces. They know it, how to speak English and their slurs, right? Well, they've got little translator things, I imagine, right? Although they use this the special uh, heat vision to detect pregnancies. So that means they can detect orientation, probably, too. Who knows? Yeah, there's probably all sorts of sensors in there. They get all sorts of data there. Uh, but it's I like very, it. It's very Shane Black, too, by the way. I think Shane Black wrote that, didn't he? Writer's not as – yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, he wrote that line, probably. Yeah, or die, one. you space faggot. That's like – those are your final words to a predator as you are ineffectually stabbing it with a little short, sharp object. I think it's not fair, though, to the predator because he's not a space faggot because he came from a different planet that may have jungles on it. He's not from space. He got oh right 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 right. He's a you know different planet faggot. And we and we also don't know his sexual orientation. We don't know unlike the alien the xenomorphs. We don't know the sex, sexual life cycles of of a predator. And are there but if he's gay, then the jokes on Walton Goggins in a way because then he got both he got one of them wrong. We know I actually and I wouldn't be Do surprised. Do you think that he's actually referring to him as being gay? Or he's using know. he's using faggot as. As a it derogatory is, I, term. I think Diggis has a point, Kelly Wand. I guess that's true. It's just Although, his go-to. I, I will say, because when I went back to watch this scene, it occurred to me, like, it, first of all, the physics of ripping someone's spine up through their skin, it's so it's so dumb. What? Like if you, Walton Goggins, yeah. I've seen him on Vice Principles. The guy can't weigh more than, like, 140 soaking wet. He's a, he's a little skinny guy. Um if you were to grab the base of Walton Goggins' spine and lift, you would lift his whole body up. Yeah. It's like in movies where a gun shoots someone's head off. Like the, the force it takes, you would knock somebody's body back. You would – so at any rate, the physics of that is, is totally off. Now, Wait. If, you'd, if you'd seen the Predator like step on Walton Goggins and then you know holding him down with his foot rip up, that would make sense. Hunt my dick implies that he he wants the predator to be gay, enjoy it, and kind yeah, because that would be a shameful to an inmate who's a homophobe and a raper. That would be like a shameful thing, isn't it? Rapist. Uh, when it's when you're talking about it in a serious light, yes. When you're making uh, fun of a dumb movie it's character, predators. <laughs> it's yeah. a raper. It's a raper. Yeah. Because uh, he's a predator, not. Predator. Oh wait, what is it? Also, isn't in Step Brothers? Isn't that Will Ferrell's objection? I am not a raper. Right. right. Like, <laughs> I for a second, I, I honestly thought he was going to rape me. Right. And Will Ferrell's, I am not a raper. So if you're joking around, yeah, generally not something you joke about. But if you're serious, you're a rapist. But when you're joking around, like Will Ferrell or Walton Goggins in, in Predators, he's joking rapists. around when he says it in Predators. <laughs> That's his joke. Wait, was he? Does he take the bullet for Adrian Brody without a spine? Like he yeah. jumps. What do you mean? Honestly, he got well, it gives, when he out. jumps on the predator. It gives Adrian Brody and Alice Braga and all the other ones uh, time to get away. But he jumps after it takes his spine out. No, no, he he gets shot in the back, and we think he's down. 
And then oh. we're, we're like, oh, no, Adrian Brody's dead. But then he's not down. He jumps up and he says, die, you space faggot. And then the the, the Predator's kind of like, well, okay, I guess i got to finish dealing with this guy. Then throws him on the ground, pulls his spine up. The Predator's think, trying to say in Predator speak, oh, you have a backbone, do you? I'll show you. Well, I think Predators have done that before. Right, like I know that that gag is from a, a Mortal Kombat game. That's probably the first place I saw it. But I'm sure I've seen Predators before do that yeah, move where you rip the spine up and pull the skull out. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's their mo. It's what they do. It's <laughs> how they get the trophy. Kelly Wand, what's your second worst redemption in a movie? My number two worst redemption in a movie is from the motion picture RoboCop 2, directed by uh, Empire Strikes Back director Erwin, Erwin Kirshner. <laughs> There's a kid in RoboCop 2, and he like swears all the time, and he's like a drug kingpin, and he's super mean and sadistic and uh, dr- takes RoboCop's limbs off. And then later, he gets shot. And then he has a tender scene with RoboCop where he's like, will you hold my hand? And then RoboCop's like, yeah, kid, it's cool. And so he holds his hand while the kid dies. But you hate the kid. You're excited that he's dead. He's not in the movie anymore. He's the worst kid ever. But RoboCop forgives. What? Like Jesus and Barabbas. Why is he forgiving the kid? Because he's a kid? I mean, that does earn you a certain amount of slack. Now, if you're a drug kingpin and a kid, which one takes precedence? You wouldn't get off because you're a kid in court. Not nowadays. In the legal system. Mm. All right. What is this, Bugsy Malone? Hello. <laughs> Does someone famous play the kid? Do we know who the kid is? No. He just has slick back hair like he thinks he's an adult. Huh. And he says, she's like, fuck him, fuck him in the ass. Fuck that shit. Whoa, wow. He's got a foul mouth fuck on him. Space faggot. Yeah, he's super sweary. Jeez, and, all right. And they, they really make you hate the kid because he's he's totally ruthless and mean and never evinces any humanity. And then at the end, he goes, hold my hand. You're supposed to go, what? Kelly, well, the studios like when characters are redeemed. That way you can feel good about them. I didn't feel good about him. Did anyone in the audience feel good for the kid when he died or cry Maybe. for the kid? Maybe. What? Do you remember the kid I'm talking about? I don't. So it obviously didn't work for me. I didn't remember anything you said from Predators, even while you were saying <laughs> All so, right, RoboCop 2. Too bad. RoboCop 2, my least second worst favorite redemption. Dingus, least. what's your second least favorite redemption? <laughs> All right, so here's a quote from it. Is one of us supposed to be a dog in this scenario? So, uh, this, what'd you say? Milo and Otis? Well, close. It's when oh, Harry man. met Sally. So, <laughs> in when Harry met Sally, um, they have this uh, huge argument. This is well after they've uh, <laughs> sort of uh, inadvertently slept together. And Whoops. Harry uh, totally ditches her. Um, well, he doesn't ditch her. He just does that. I got to get out. I have to go to work because I'm super early because I'm a farmer uh, and then leaves, you know, early and doesn't call her back and is a little dodgy and she gets really mad at him. And they're both jerks to each other for the rest of the movie, which is just totally this terrible. And I really like this movie. But when I think about the moment that redeems him and redeems the two of them when they've been such jerks to each other for for 
for weeks. I mean, because he feels bad about what he did. He was pretty much a jerk, and he's been a jerk for most of the movie as far as women are concerned and how he treats women. Um, and she's kind of a jerk to him because she's just not going to listen to any of his overtures to try to apologize or try to make amends or any of that. She's just going to ignore him and totally put him on ice for the entire rest of the movie until they can have a convenient redemptive moment uh, where he runs several blocks downtown on new year's Eve uh, because he suddenly has a realization that that's where he should be. He should be with her on new year's Eve, even though he's asked her, if they can go to the party together over her answering machine, all he's done is leave messages on her answering machine and she won't pay any attention to him because he left too quickly after they had sex. Uh, the morning after, uh, he left too quickly. Uh, they were both jerks to each other for, for a large part of this sequence of the movie. Um, and all he has to do is run into this party, give her a, a cute little speech about the way her forehead crinkles in a certain way and, uh, and kiss her on new year's Eve and everything, this whole thing is fine. And he's redeemed as a character as this jerk who treats women as you can never be friends with them. They're just somebody to sleep with. And then you, you run out as soon as you can. And, um, she gets to just totally be redeemed for being somebody who just won't take his apologies and just ignores him for weeks and weeks and weeks on end over the holidays. And, uh, and then it's just this one little cute moment that is a total redemption. Uh, and I really, that's, that's really a sour point for me, but mainly, mainly on his, I, I, I was really going to put it just on Harry. I was just going to say, you know, he's, he's a jerk to her. Uh, he's a jerk to most women. He, he talks about women like a jerk would. Um, and he just gets to be redeemed by running in a, at this party and going, I really love you and your forehead crinkles and I want to spend the rest of my life with you and let's have a quick kiss. And now I'm redeemed and all of the other things that I've done that are dodgy in the past can now be doodly doodly do swept away. But I, I'll put it on both of them. I think they're both kind of jerks and they both get redeemed by just running into this party and having a quick kiss at the end. Yeah. It's rom-com for you. Remember they up? came together when she orders like a 50 step like latte or a muffin or something. He's all, you're so fussy. Oh, who are you? No, you can, you can say that again. <laughs> tell me about it. Kelly, Wan, I'd like you to tell me about your very favorite, l least favorite redemption in a movie. Very slick transition, Tom. Yeah, he's done this before. I think so. All right, I'm going to do a line from it. <clears throat> I'm your dad. Planets are stupid. Let's blow them up. Uh... <laughs> okay, so that's from the motion picture Re Revenge of the Jedi, episode three, I think. That's not the, a movie. Episode, the third Star Wars movie, the one with the second Death Star, but it's the third movie. Darth Vader, that's the worst redemption uh, in movies, movie history. Thank wow, you. the worst. What's wrong with it? Because now he loves his son and the light what? side of the force. is. No, he didn't have good in him. He had good in him starting when? When did he ever have good in him? When did he invent good in the first two movies? What the hell's Luke basing that on? Well, he didn't prequels. say that at the end of E. Oh, that doesn't happen. That's, those aren't canon. And nothing in it. Luke doesn't know anything that happened in the prequels. 
Does he? We don't, he? we don't know about all of his charity work or the pets that he takes care of. He's an asshole. He's probably he's, even a vegetarian, he, Kelly Wand. Right, he doesn't show good till at the very – like he. the first good thing he does is take a dive on the lightsaber fight. He holds the blast doors open yeah. for, for lady stormtroopers. And nobody gives him credit for that stuff. It's the worst thing ever in movies. So, Kelly Wan, how would you, if you had made Return of the Jedi, how would you have made that end up? Just that Luke kills him and defeats evil? No, that they kill each other. Ooh. And they both, and they go, yeah, the Skywalker line will will still go on with someone who's innocent because neither of our hands are clean. Right. Because Luke's hands aren't clean either. Wait, why aren't Luke's hands clean? What has he done? Uh... Because he thought there was good in Vader and also Kylo Ren. No. That's wait, what? He did kill an innocent uh, Rancor. Yeah. That that poor Rancor didn't do anything. That seemed to mean. Yeah. So there's that and also um you know he littered on Vader on Vader's planet, Dagobah. Yoda's planet. Wow. All right. He killed a lot of innocent all the other prisoners on the Death Star, he also killed them, too. Leah probably wasn't the only prisoner. Okay. Admiral Akbar's brother was probably there or something. You're using the Kevin Smith argument. Excellent. Did he say that? He said it yeah. in the prison cells? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, forget no. that. Well, no, he talks about all the contractors on the Death Star. That's a, that's a joke from Clerks. Yeah. They didn't have Just contractors. Have... Okay, Who forget it. it? My number one's uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. I didn't trust his redemption. <laughs> event, where he see he uh, didn't even he didn't need one. Yeah, he until the very end was like I think you underestimate their chances. Yeah, <laughs> but at the end he was probably going to go. Wait, hold it. You know what? Let's not blow it up. But he didn't get that chance because Luke fucking got his hands dirty and shot. But he was even like, we're not even no no evacuation. Like he was yeah. even like, no. What are you? Are you? Don't don't be an idiot. We're just. Are you talking about lifeboats? No, don't be he stupid. Did, he also spared everyone on Dantooine. So there you go. You're welcome, Dantooine. Mm, Dantooine's far too remote to make a, an effective redemption. That's just an excuse. He didn't want to look uh, soft in front of his men. Oh right, yeah. So mm. and in front of Vader because they were kind of like buddy cops. What's the worst redemption in all of movies? Worse even than Harry Met Sally or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Uh, well, this is difficult. Uh, this is number one in my three by three because it's the worst from what I consider to be one of the best movies ever. Uh, and here's a quote from it. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> Who's the redeemed in that? Bonnie Bedelia? <laughs> no. Uh, John Reginald Bill Johnson's character, Al Powell, uh, He's supposedly this uh, cop who oh, right, right. is oh. riddled with guilt <laughs> because yeah. he's, he shot a kid. I shot a kid. Shot a and kid. And now he can never bring himself to draw his revolver again, ah, ever come again. On. I, will never, I will never draw my revolver ever again because I <laughs> shot a kid. And the way they redeem his character is by, at the end, having this horrible Gene Simmons runaway moment where – Alexander Gudinov emerges at the very end when you think the movie's over, but of course, some one last thrill has to happen. Only one Alexander, cop. <laughs> Alexander Gudinov 
sneaks out under a fire blanket or something, and you just start to hear, uh, and the camera pans down to the barrel of what is obviously a revolver, and then you look, and there's, and as the revolver comes down, you see there's Al Powell, Sergeant <laughs> Al Powell, and he's shot the guy. He's drawn his gun. Finally, he's overcome this guilt that he has that won't allow him. So he has this cushy, uh, this cushy patrol where he can get a thousand and one Twinkies at the uh, Quickie Mart, and then just do a quick, just just go quick by. Nakatomi Plaza, just just to make a show. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, he's just got this really simple, low stakes beat because he can't draw his gun. And uh, the, the end of the movie redeems him by allowing him to kill somebody. Okay. And now, now he can be finally over the guilt of shooting a child accidentally. <laughs> Dingus, a he thought Gudnov was a kid, so he's not. <laughs> And he thought it was. <laughs> That's why he's no. shot. Yeah. yeah, it's a child. Fire. <laughs> he thought he thought it was Urkel. Get it? Carl shoots Urkel, Dingus. I mean, you know, because he did have long hair, like a hippie. Good enough. Yeah, that's good enough, I guess. Uh, is he in the sequels <laughs> at all? Alexander Goodenough? No, he gets killed by uh, oh, Carl. Val Johnson, who can now shoot children. I think that in the second movie, maybe John McClane calls him because the second movie takes place facts, in D.C. Yeah. He oh, gives right, him a right. facts from it. He does a boring exposition scene at the beginning I of think, Die Hard. I think that's about it. Yeah. That's it. And yeah, then they're they're not friends anymore. There was not a comment after all because only one of them shot a kid. As much as I love that movie, every time we get to that part you want where – where the the music is just doing this do you know we've we've strayed from the wonderful Beethoven, um, and we've gone to this soaring soundtrack and oh the glory and here's the point of the revolver and there's his face oh my gosh he shot he's the one who shot him and then of course John McClane stands up and lets it you know like carefully lets the revolver go down pushes it down and says you know. It's going to be okay, or whatever he says. Uh, and of course, there's no sense that uh, there's going to be an investigation in the shooting at all. It's ever he's just going to put his gun away and drive ever, drive off or whatever. But he's been redeemed for killing a kid in his own mind. Uh, the first time I saw that movie, and everyone in the audience was like freaking out during the whole movie because it was so good, and that's supposed to be like an applause moment, and even then, no one applauded. Like the very first time, like even like super pumped, yeah, Die Hard just happened to us for the first time. Oh my god! And then the part you're talking about happened, and everyone was like, uh, "Well, we'll just." We'll, everyone did what you did instantly. Like you, the teenagers in the '80s just went, "Yeah, forget the part." Yeah, <laughs> it's just. Good enough's it's just, dead. It's we get it. It's fine. It's just cringeworthy. It's just ugh. ugh. I, even it's now, it's like it's like he like oh who's gonna who's it gonna be oh is him no way and it's after the limo driver gets in the uh, crashes into the other car yeah and so punches Theo yeah so you're gonna get okay the the third stringer got his redemption and then that happens it's right like, and oh. then Theo comes crashing through the gate right after that and and. Uh, Al Powell reaches for his revolver again, and, and uh, 
Bruce Willis or John McClane goes, don't worry, he's with me. Like the yeah. terrorists could not have taken over the limo. <laughs> right. That's good enough but, for them now. And then Bonnie great. Bedelia punches the reporter and then that got applause. Like it, everyone just kind of pre- just tuned out the Al Pal thing. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. But he, he should get punched. Right. Well, yeah, he was, he was, uh, obviously, uh, a villain because he had threatened their housekeeper with, uh, immigration. Exportation, which somehow she knew. I don't know how she knew. I don't know. Oh, she, she knew. knew. Be- she knew because he was on the TV in the background as they were loading sure, up the bearer bonds. Yeah, that's still. How would she know that they didn't just let him in because they look uncomfortable while he talks to him? Because and she's not that bastard. Because he's a parasitic reporter who went and exploited her children. He went and found her children and exploited but she's an them. Arms dealer. What for the Japanese? What's Nakatomi making it? Tape recorders. Plasmas? Oh, okay, that's okay. But tape decks. That's that's one of the things that uh, that Takagi says. He's like, so uh, we failed at Pearl Harbor, so we thought we'd get you with tape decks. See, it's topical. Hmm. Anyway, let's move on to Tom's number one. Tom sounds stunned. My least favorite redemption in a movie uh, is in the movie Downsizing which is uh, Alexander Payne's movie where uh, the premise is that people shrink themselves down to where they're five inches tall and they consume fewer of the world's resources and then they live in little communities. And the dilemma that he's setting up for at the end of the movie is in order to save the world, should you withdraw from it, like like shrinking yourself down and living in a separate community, uh, or should you participate in the world and try to make it a better place? Ugh. At least I think that's what he's going for. Uh, it doesn't quite work for various reasons, but so Matt Damon has shrunk himself down, and he can now withdraw from the world and go into a community that's going to be sealed off in a cave from the rest of the world, and they're going to they're going to propagate the human species, whereas everybody else is about to die away from a methane exposure. It's like the end of the world. So Matt Damon going to go in the cave and he's going to be part of the, the continuation of the human species underground for many, many generations. You know, he'll, he'll be dead, but uh, he'll, he'll help propagate humanity and then eventually they'll come up out of the cave. So does he go – he's going to go in there, but does he go in there or does he stay out of that cave and do what he can to make the world a better place? Ugh. And he's like, no, I'm going to go in the cave and propagate the human species. And he's going in the cave, and he's going in the cave, and he's going in the cave, and I, I guess it's a spoiler, but you, you guys don't want to see this silly thing. And then he decides, nope, I don't want to go in the cave. I want to go out there and help humanity. But the reason that this is a really dumb redemption, him going in the cave is one choice, and him not going in the cave is another choice. But not going in the cave is a way more attractive option because he's fallen in love with this totally awesome chick who lives outside of the cave. So that when he finally decides... It's like Avatar. It's not like Avatar. When he finally decides, (laughs) I'm not going to go in the cave, I'm going to stay out there. Of course he decides that because there's an awesome chick out there. Like if, if the chick was inside and then he decided no I'm going to stay out and save the world that would have made a difference but no the the, the main reason I mean he's an idiot to leave this cool chick uh, 
so he's going to go in the cave without her or stay outside of the cave with her and make the world a better place. It's a stupid redemption because of this 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 act this character. Her name is uh, Nok Lan, uh, this Vietnamese woman who he's fallen in love with. Of course, you want to stay with her. Uh, it's a dumb redemption. It's also a dumb redemption because this woman, this actress, and this character, as written by Alexander Payne, is ten times better than anything else in this stupid movie. Uh, an hour, it's an hour and ten minutes into downsizing that you meet a, a Vietnamese immigrant who uh, has lost a leg. Uh, she's working as a housekeeper, uh, trying to make a living, um, and she – her, her English is, is very clipped. She doesn't know English very well. Uh, and she's played by an actress named Hong Chow, who is beautiful and super elegant, but she loses all of that to play Nak Lan. Nak Lan is not elegant. Nak Lan is a coarse uh, housekeeper. And when she speaks Vietnamese, it's like Kelly Wan's beautiful Bay Ling imitations. Her, her voice is, is nasal and shrill. Her words are, are clipped. She's strident. Um, and it's adorable, but yet as an actress, she's so open and, and gentle and kind and responsive. Uh, Downsizing is a terrible movie with a beautiful performance in it. So of course Matt Damon will redeem himself by staying with this really, really cool character who we met halfway through the movie. Um, so there's my least favorite redemption. Is, <laughs> Something uh, you just saw. Yeah. A movie you never want to think about again. I never understand because I keep hearing about this movie because yeah. a lot of podcasts I listen to talk about it. I keep having follow-up questions the more I hear about it. Have little advertisements for it, like 30-second interstitial kind of things. And I, they find out how much money they they have uh, the, to buy a bigger house. But aren't don't economies scale too? I, mean, I, don't, I don't quite understand the logic. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a it's a sci-fi parable kind of thing. Like it's I don't uh, think it's. I mean, they do try to make it sound as if it's like plausible. That's what I hate about movies now is that nothing's just for its own sake, science-wise. It has to make some stupid-ass point that wouldn't doesn't really apply to the situation at all, or it wouldn't if it was really happening. Like in the old Time Machine movie, he just makes a time machine for the fuck of it, and then goes to the future and meets a girl and goes, "Yeah, this is great," and then that's the end of it. Uh, in all these movies, like he has to learn something. I don't like that. Well, you get yeah. There's this is super about being redeemed and learning to everything. Uh, think has to glo- it's all about think globally, act locally, uh, and it ends with him. And, and by the way, I, I I don't like this movie, but I do want to think about it because of uh, Hong Chao's character. Like it's a great bit of writing for this one character. If the movie had been all about her, but the first half of the movie is not about her, and the second half of the movie is basically. Uh, like her, him falling in love with her, and she deserves way better. It's like seeing that uh, that dopey Miles Teller character or, or Anselm Elgort character with Shailene Woodley. Like she deserves better in those movies. Yeah. Uh, Hong Chao's character, Nocklan, she deserves way better in this doughy Matt Damon doofus who can't see the nose on the end of his face as far as like what the obvious thing to do is. Um, but she really is good. She is so good. I mean, you should just. I even went. Uh, after I saw it, looking for trailers, just wanting to watch more footage of her, and she's not in many of the trailers at all. Uh, so I will see this again specifically. For this her, this movie sounds to me like if Disney tried to make a Charlie Kaufman movie, and they like studio noted it and go, "This is what it should be." That's about right. Yeah, but less polished. <laughs> less polished, though. Yeah. We like your wacky sense of humor, but we're gonna like uh, massage it a little. So 
Kelly's uh, mama like it more. <laughs> Your mom would totally love it. And Kelly, you would you would love Hong Chow in this. She's adorable. She said she cried at the end of Shape of Water. So the actress Hong Chow said she cried at the end of Shape of Water. I can't believe no, you my mom. Oh, oh, <laughs> your mom. <laughs> well, no, we talk. I wouldn't call it talking. <laughs> Wait, are you making? I don't understand. That's a weird the subtext. Make your mother. No, I was doing Hong Chow that time. Oh, now okay. you're talking. All right, Kelly Wan. All this is you getting need very to understand mixed up. pronouns and antecedents. <laughs> what? I don't really listen to myself closely enough. Dingus, do whatever you're saying. What what redemptions, if any, do the listeners not like? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Tom's had enough. <laughs> Hendrick Thiel says, "Hey, yeah." Though I am sure there are dozens of mad scientists developing a developing a conscience seconds before being eaten by their creations, mistresses of evil geniuses switching sides because of Bond's power of persuasion and henchmen with a third act, heart of gold. The worst redemption I can think of is Jason Statham in Fast and Furious Eight. Yeah, that was one of my writers up because now he's part of the family. Yeah. He killed Han. That's a great one. I, I was totally circling around this one. Sorry. As as cute as he was with the baby, that dude killed Han. Right. If I can't forgive that, why should Vin Diesel? Han was family. Yeah. Now Statham's family. And the brother who fucked them in the six movies family because they're brothers. It's, it's gibberish. That's a great one. Yeah, that is a great one. Good job, Hendrick. I didn't even think of that. That's perfect. <laughs> Hendrick says, thanks for all the crap and the occasional brilliant stuff you make us watch. Hendrick was coming at us at the beginning of that email like with Kung Fu. Like It sounded like yeah. a, a martial maneuver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, uh, that, that was like... But Bond girls don't count in my thinking. Like, if he's just fucking them and that's the redemption, I don't know if that's redemption, really. Plus, they don't need to be... They're Bond girls. Right? Yeah. Isn't that why, part of the courtship? Why did you bring up Bond girls? Yeah. I thought he did in the. He did, yeah. but I don't know why he did. He said henchmen. I don't know, but. Well, okay. Oh, I thought he said girls. Maybe he did. Yeah. I don't remember now. The I was henchmen? a little thrown when he came at me with the going, hey, like I thought I was going to get karate chopped. Oh, I just thought it is. Hey, uh. Actually, one of my runners up was Jaws. In Moonraker, and also Jaws and Jaws of Revenge. I guess he says mistresses of evil geniuses switching sides because of Bond's power. Yeah. yeah. So it's a Bond girl, like uh, Jane Seymour. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Or Grace Jones. Or Sophie Marceau. Gemma <laughs> Arterton. Grace Jones and switch sides. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I was hoping I could sneak that by you. I forgot what a big Duran Duran fan you are. She was redeemed in Conan the Destroyer, though. (laughs) (laughs) Can this be the last podcast? And that's the the last thing that's said on it. And with that total fizzle. Arthur Arthur Juvangeli says, (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Spider-Man 2. Ah, oh, great one. Dr. Octopus Ugh. decides to be a good guy at the end after he sees Peter Parker's face. 
the poetry. De- this decision doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Seeing as only a few scenes ago, Doc Ock knocked down a restaurant that Parker was in so he could kidnap Mary right. Jane Watson. Yeah, I don't understand the change of heart, but whatever. Poetry. Uh, Arthur, Arthur's number two is Godzilla 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> after, what? After he has helped wreck multiple cities and ended oh, yeah. countless lives a news broadcast redeems godzilla as <laughs> savior true. of the city yeah, that's true this title <laughs> does not actually change the behavior of godzilla but it's so dumb it makes me laugh nonetheless well if godzilla presumably read the headline and then felt vindicated and went all right we've worked it out yeah i would love to see like an af like a like the uh like the final shot after the credits of Godzilla, like kicking back with a cup of coffee. Yeah, nailed it. Suck number Arthur. One, number one for Arthur is Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Near uh, the end of the movie, Salim decides to help his brother for a change by allowing Latika to escape the crime lord they both work for. Not only is this decision hard to believe. Selim probably raped Latika and then handed her over as a sex slave, but it is filmed in a pretty silly way. Selim jumps in a bathtub and covers himself with money before shooting his boss and some of the henchmen. It's also obviously staged that it just rips you right out of the movie. I hate this redemption scene. Yeah. I hate the whole freaking movie, but yeah, fair enough. Best picture. Uh, yes, best picture. Crash. Yeah, so. Matt Dillon's redemption and crash was one of my remember though. But we don't like to. Uh, you have to acknowledge Crash exists. So. <laughs> it's off the list. Godfather Three off the list. And the uh, our last writer inner is Keith Leith, one of my favorite names on Quarter to Three movie podcast. Keith Leith. Seasons uh, greetings. Number three, The Call from 2013. What? Uh, the Halle Berry movie. No, that was wasn't that more recent. Keith doesn't <laughs> give us any details. He just says, "I believe the filmmaker thinks this is an effective redemptive tale." I watched the third act, and can disabuse him of this notion. Do you know the Halle Berry kidnapping movie? Where the she's one like with the girls in the trunk with the cell phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what she's he's talking about? I have no idea. I don't that know. That was 2013 because I saw it in Canada, I remember. Oh, because we did it for the podcast and it doesn't seem like that long ago. It's a cute right. office, I remember. But it's what? a stupid movie. It's dumb as fuck. I forget who even was in it besides. Oh, that's her. right. Well, she, she she didn't want to go back to the call center because, she, I don't know, because she shot like, Reg- oh, Reginald oh, Phil right. Johnson's right, kid right, or right. something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or she dropped the call at the wrong time. That's right. She And yeah. she's like, I'm not ready to go on. But I'll talk to the trainees. Uh, and in fact, one of my friends is in that scene. Her name's Tara. Um, <laughs> she's one of the trainees, I think. And uh, and then all of a sudden they get this call. And the the uh, one of the trainees is taking the call. And they're trying to run it. And they're like, no, we got to move this over to somebody who can handle it. We don't have anybody here. Yeah. It should have been Reginald. They should have moved it to him like he's the, <laughs> their backup. He's uh, trying so I guess the redemption is the fact that sure. she's she's not able to work because of failing in this one call, and then she 
It's the same killer, though. Like the first call, she fucks up. Oh, it is. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the tw- that's the oh, twist. Is she's making up literally for her own mistake because it's the same killer and a different victim. Okay. So and that yeah. really redeems you, by the way. Right. That when you're one for two, that's a redemption. Just like Rocky three, when he beats Mr. T the second time, and then they've won one each. He becomes champion forever. Same See, thing. That's how it happens. Redemption. Rocky three. Best redemption. <laughs> Keep Leap's number two choice, Crash, 2004. Ugh. Ugh. Great, Keith. Now you've allowed Crash to be mentioned twice on this podcast. Uh, Paul don't... Haggis thinks he's showing pluck. In fact, it's tripe. <laughs> Never confuse those. Gammon Head Matt Dillon. Uh-huh. Gammon Head? What does gammon head mean? Gammon, gammon head. Uh, it's British for something. All right, gammon head Matt <laughs> Dillon does his job and makes an important point, but above all, is not gay. This is Keith Leith like saying. And finally, Keith Leith's number one, Bugsy Malone <laughs> from 1976. That came up too. The film, I know, the film ends with Fat Sam leading a sing-along about reconciliation. It's not enough. That inveterate hoodlum needed to do a ten-stretch in Sing Sing minimum. No privileges. Happy holidays to you all. Kate. Uh, yeah. And that's all we've got. Do you, huh. uh, do you gentlemen have any runners-up? I, I do not. I had a real hard time with this. What? I love this topic. Oh, I'd love to do every too. movie. I, even even given all of our extra time, I had a really hard time with this. The one I thought of during the podcast was Tom Cruise in the Mummy. Uh, is supposed to be a. I guess you now you have to redeem Han Solo type characters. They can't just be allowed to run amok and like have fun anymore. And so I remember the blonde girl, he saves her from the plane crash by giving her the parachute, even though he lets everybody else die. And then later in the movie, she tells him, hey, you redeemed yourself by giving me that parachute by saving me, which seems kind of uh, stuck up of her. Like I wouldn't <laughs> say that if Tom Cruise saved me, like, oh, you saved me, dude. So you're a saint. Because <laughs> I'm a really, I'm a really precious commodity to planet Earth. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, You're welcome for me being there. I have allowed yeah. you to go to heaven. Yeah, I'm the greatest. But All right, uh, Tom, no uh, runners up from you. No, no. I mean, because the thing, it's a, it's a fixture of pretty much any crappy movie. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Well, the, there right. are good redemptions in movies. Mm, name sure. one. That's a whole other topic, Kelly Wand. Oh, it's a good point. You did, but nothing came to mind. I see instantly. Uh, for good hard. redemptions in movies. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. La La Land, uh-huh. J.K. Simmons. What? <laughs> That's redemption. Yeah. He's all happy and he's snapping along the song and he lets him pass. That's a hallucination. Yeah, but it's a hallucinatory redemption. All right. Okay, if that's your go- if that's your first choice, 
Uh, it's just I'm just thinking of movies that I love. Any great movie has uh, a good redemption. Uh, uh, let How the right Gollum? one in. Doesn't Gollum redeem himself at the end of uh, Return of the King? Inadvertently, yeah. <laughs> That's not inadvertently. It's totally inadvertently because Gandalf what? says Gollum will have a part to play. Yeah, but he uh, falls. I mean, I don't think falling is inadvertent. He bites a finger off and trips. That's his Gollum redemption. clearly meant to do that. Um, okay. Well, I think I made As my he point. falls, he says, I regret nothing. Also, Neo, he was really redeemed. He was such an asshole before that. Yeah. I think you have to make a character an asshole. And then he's not an asshole. He helps his landlady take out the garbage. Well, and certainly Han Solo was redeemed in Force Awakens. Ugh. He's no longer a scoundrel. He's a loving father. He also believes in the Force now, which it really yeah. bothers me. It's all true. All of it. I liked that he didn't need the Force to be awesome. That was what was cool about Han Solo. And now he's like, yeah, I suck without the Force. Well, his, his, he's got a low midichlorian count. I mean, it's not his fault. It's just a medical thing. Maybe in the prequel coming out called Solo, A Star Wars Story, we'll see more of... Directed it, by Ron Howard. He's more Han Solo than Ron Howard. He's he's the Han Solo of the directing world. Ron Howard is. Yeah. Didn't he make In the Heart of the Sea? Yeah. Boy, how about that movie? <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is the 3x3 three three that the listeners will uh, be considering all month that we will be doing uh, on January 28th? Oh, so much time to forget to do it, Ed. Um, this month's topic for 3x3 three three is the three your three favorite continuity errors in movies. Uh, just to give an idea of how wide a net I consider continuity error to be, the fact that R2-D2 can fly in the Star Wars prequels and that he doesn't fly out of the desert in Episode Four the first Star Wars movie made is a continuity error as far as I'm concerned. All right. That Lucas made. Continuity errors are also things like uh, a cigarette being burned down at variable lengths and different shots. Right. Sure. Okay, good. Uh, Kelly one, what if the listeners have some continuity errors they'd like you to read on the air? Uh, If you have other continuity errors, you'd like me to read or try to read on the air. And by the way, anime, obviously, the continuity in those are pretty rock solid. I mean, we saw Red Lion last year uh, by accident because <laughs> Tom misread a number. But, I mean, there was no continuity here in that. So I'm just assuming based on that being the only anime film I've seen, that it's all like that. Uh, it's all pretty rock solid. But in like real like live action movies like Predators – uh, if there's continuity errors in there that you want to dis- have me describe that you write down and then I read orally on the air, send them to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com by midnight, January 28th, 2018. 2018. Thank you. Very good, Kelly Wand. Good. Yeah. And join us next week for our uh, top 10 movies of 2017. We'll be uh, doing math to uh, rank all of those. Uh, and then for the rest of January, we'll be seeing actual movies. So uh, join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Because I watched Howard the Duck, Netflix thinks I'd enjoy Suicide. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between. Counting one, two, three, eat a pot of Everybody loves 
Tom, is there any way to do a manual sperm count? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. In Alien Covenant, when Danny McBride called his wife uh, character Sweet Tits, he wasn't acting, I read, on Gizmodo.